0: Lent is a season in the life of the church that is full of introspection, but that doesn't mean this liturgical season encourages more navel-gazing than usual. In fact, it compels us to look at our lives both individually and corporately. It's like we're asking ourselves two questions. How have I failed, and how have we all failed? It's not an easy season in the life of the church. And while I was preparing for this Lent, I was looking through the scriptures that were assigned for us through this time, and I was struck by how almost every scripture had to do with the theme of covenants, or a contract, a promise. And I thought that would be a great thing to talk about during Lent, because all of us are familiar with covenants. We've all borrowed money, or we purchased a car or a home. We've gotten married, and all of those things are done with a contract, a covenant, They exist because we fundamentally do not trust one another. We do not trust institutions. And so we have a covenant to protect us in case the other doesn't hold up their end of the bargain. But all good relationships are built on trust. A trust of vulnerability and fragility where we lovingly yield ourselves to the other. And that's exactly what God does for us. God offers God's self to us in the person of Jesus with all of Jesus' vulnerability and fragility. And God says, trust me. And God also said these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods besides me. Would you please pray with me? May the words in my mouth... And the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Uh, For as much as Lent is a time of repentance, it's also a time of confession. And it's confession time for your pastor. Friends, I have something weighing heavy on my heart that I have to confess to you. And it is this. I hate Sunday school. I hate Sunday school. Sunday school. I have hated Sunday school since I was a little kid. And frankly, I don't think you can blame me. Because try as they might, my Sunday school teachers were pretty terrible. They were pretty terrible. And not only my teachers, but the rooms themselves. Everything about Sunday school was off for me. The church where I grew up, Sunday school happened before church started. So we had to wake up even earlier on Sunday morning just to get to Sunday school. We'd have argue and yell at each other in my family, get in the car, make sure our, our outfits were all color-coordinated, and then we'd get to the building and we'd be shuffled off to our different rooms. And the rooms themselves were absolutely terrible. The Sunday school rooms are where you put the fourth generation of couches when you're no longer using them. It's where you put all the battered and bruised Bibles that no one wants to read anymore. It's where all of the very weird posters of biblical scenes hang on the wall with Faded colors, you can't really tell what was there anymore. Everything about Sunday school for me was terrible. And try as they might, our teachers tried. They tried to teach us about the Bible. And I can't remember all of the lessons we learned, but I, I do remember the day that we learned about David and Goliath. You know the story, David and Goliath? David takes a little stone, and he whirls around, he takes down Goliath. I'm sure our teachers had some sort of theological construct for something we were supposed to glean from the story. But the only thing I remember about David and Goliath is looking in my Bible and seeing a picture of a chiseled and ripped Goliath. He didn't have a six-pack. He had a 16-pack. And I remember looking at it because all we talked about was, man, I want to look like Goliath one day. And I'm sure as like a seven-year-old, we were all lifting up our shirts and seeing what kind of flabby six-pack we could put together. And that was the lesson about David and Goliath. I can remember the day we learned about Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac. Do you know the story? God says to Abraham, you shall take your first son, you'll take him on top of the mountain, and you will build a fire and sacrifice him before me." Now, I know now as an adult that God also provides a ram to be sacrificed instead of Isaac. But the teenage Taylor didn't hear that part of the story. And when I went home and I saw my dad gathering firewood for the fire, you better believe I didn't go to church for a month. I didn't want to die. Abraham and Isaac, David and Goliath. I also remember the day we learned about Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Do you know the story? It's this woman who is about to be stoned to death, and Jesus saves her and says to the crowd, Let ye without sin cast the first stone. But all I remember is our teacher referring to Mary Magdalene as a lady of the night. And a lady of the night sounds more like a vampire than, well, being a lady of the night. That's my Sunday school knowledge. And I could fill a whole sermon with Sunday school anecdotes. I could tell you some really good stories. Because in Sunday school, I never learned about the Bible to be... Educated, I learned so that I could win the candy, so that I could get the gold star next to my name. That's what Sunday school was all about. But the one story I remember more than any other was the day we were quizzed on the Ten Commandments. We were all sitting down around this broken table, and our teacher gave us each a blank sheet of paper. And she said, I want you all to write down the Ten Commandments in order you have 10 minutes. I remember staring at that blank piece of paper and not a single thought came to my mind. I just sat there and stared. And finally, I think our teacher saw all of us staring at blank pieces of paper and she tried to encourage us. She said, you know, the things that God tells us we have to do. So then I started going in my mind, okay, what has the pastor told us to do? What can I write down? And I'm sure that the very first thing I wrote down was, God commands us to give him all of our money. Because you've heard preachers talk about giving money, haven't you? So I'm sure that at the top of the page, I just had the money symbol. But that's one out of ten. And I looked at the other blanks, and I could not think of anything God commands us to do. I'm sure that I probably wrote something about being nice to my sisters, because that's something my parents used to say, and they were as close to God as you could get. But then the buzzer went off, the 10 minutes had expired, and I probably only had three things written down on my paper. And so I, along with my compatriots, I walked up to the front and I put down my sorry excuse for a pop quiz on the teacher's desk, and I knew that tween-age Taylor would be getting no piece of candy that day. So, friends, I want to know: do you know the Ten Commandments? Do you know them? In order, if I gave each of you a blank piece of paper today, would you get your piece of candy? Would you get a gold star next to your name? When I was living in Durham, North Carolina, there was this fad that happened. I used to ride my bike everywhere in town, and I'd be riding uh, from my house to class, and I'd go by all these houses, and in their front yards were signs. And they weren't the signs for the politicians they would be voting for in the fall. It was a copy of the Ten Commandments. You know, with two stone tablets, with five on one and five on the other. And house after house after house had the Ten Commandments out for everyone to see. So as I rode my bike, I didn't know who they were going to be voting for, but I was reminded to not kill anybody, to not lie, not take the Lord's name in vain. And it was around that same time that all across the country, people were fighting to get the Ten Commandments put back up in public. We want them in the public schools. We want them in the public squares. We want them in the public courthouses. And it was one day while I was in seminary, while I was in Durham, I thought, this is God's work. God remembered that I failed my pop quiz, and God is doing everything in God's power to remind me of the Ten Commandments. But the more I thought about it, the more I wondered, was this all God's work? Or was it our work? Or to put it another way, were the Ten Commandments about freedom, freedom for us to love God and love others, or were they being used as a weapon to shame those who do not follow them? Then God said all of these words, the Ten Commandments. They are promises that God makes to us. God says, I will be your God. I will deliver you. I will sustain you. I will heal you. I will watch over you. All you have to do is follow these ten simple rules. And we can't do it. We just can't do it. Look around the room for a second. And I promise you, every person in this place has broken at least one of the ten commandments. Some of us have broken even more than one of the ten commandments. Every one of us. Breaks the commandments, And it's strange because it's almost as if God knows we're going to break the commandments. And yet God's love for us remains steadfast. Because God is the one who establishes the covenant with us, not the other way around. There's no response, there's no bargaining on our part to make it happen. God offers God's self to us. God binds God's self to us, knowing full and well that we will break the covenant. There's a lot of uh, analogies in Scripture, but the one that happens the most is that Jesus is married to the church. Jesus makes a promise to the church just like we do in marriage. But unlike our marriages, Jesus never breaks that covenant. But the way we talk about covenants today, the way that we talk about the Ten Commandments, how we quiz our children or we place them in our yards or in courthouses, it makes a mockery of what they are. Because when we do that, we make the Ten Commandments more about us and less about God. The Ten Commandments, they are God's will for God's people. In our limited imaginations, we've made them into a list of what we can and we cannot do. We've used them like a bludgeon to attack others for not following suit. But at the heart of these Ten Commandments, at the heart of God's covenant with us, is freedom. It's freedom to love God and others without any restrictions. It's freedom. And of course, we have the freedom to ignore the covenants, something we do all the time. All those signs in people's yards that I passed on my bike, they were all facing away from the house. It was like the people said, we want all of you to follow all the rules, but we don't really care. It's all about everybody else. Put them up in the courthouse. Quiz your kids in school. Do all this stuff. But guess what? It won't change anything. It's just like putting speed limit signs on the highway. People are going to drive as fast as they want. And if you ask me, I find it to be incredibly ironic that people in our country want to have the Ten Commandments up in public again. In our country. Because here in the United States, divorce right now is over 50%. You shall not commit adultery. Do you know that here in our country, we have more guns than we have human beings? You shall not commit murder. Do you know that in our country, capitalism is more important than community? Honor and keep the Sabbath. Do you know here in our country, we worship celebrities more than we worship God? And you shall have no other gods besides me. Friends, if history is any indication, public displays of religious affection in the form of the Ten Commandments will not change a thing but binding ourselves to them, holding one another accountable, listening for the rhythm of the Ten Commandments and staying in line is a seed. It's a seed that germinates into a garden of new life because we can ignore them. We can ignore them all we want, but we do so at our own peril, not because God has a whip and is ready to punish us, but because if we follow our own drum, if we follow our own Ten Commandments, our lives will never be what they could. Living outside of the commandments, they result in lives of isolation and individualism and apathy. But living in the commandments, writing them on our hearts rather than our walls, is the beginning of a way that transforms everything else. We could say, what's the harm in a little bit of coveting? What's so wrong with wanting what your neighbor has? Our entire advertising economy is based on that principle alone. Or we might wonder, what's so wrong with working a couple hours, extra hours at the office? What's wrong with going in on Saturday morning to catch up on the work we didn't do? Our whole culture produces a narrative in which production is an expectation all the time. It is in the prohibition of these things that God challenges our understanding of reality. We can give our lives over to our own commandments, but they will be a shallow shadow of what they could be. Binding ourselves to these rules is the beginning of a path that allows us to fully love God and love one another. The Ten Commandments are God's top ten rules for faithful living, and sadly for many of us, they've become the not top ten list. Because if we're honest, we regularly worship other gods like wealth and power We build up false idols like material objects. We do things in the name of the Lord that purposely harm and destroy other people. We break the commitment to rest. We reject and we rebel against our parents. We live in a world that is fueled by war and violence. We are captivated by a culture that is so highly sexualized that we break our covenants and we commit adultery all the time. We steal From those without power, we lie constantly and we believe those commercials. That if we just had that one thing on the screen, that everything would change. But friends, it doesn't have to be that way. We can rediscover this not top ten list for the freedom that it actually provides. bind ourselves to it and in so doing the shackles of the shadow side of our life can fall away. We can remember that the Ten Commandments it's not a list to be memorized. It's not a weapon to be used. It's a way of living. Because we can love God with our whole hearts. We can trust our allegiance to the Lord. We can act to be used by God rather than the other way around. We can find true rest. We can love our parents both biological, and spiritual. We can see all people as having sacred worth. We can live into the promises we make in marriage. We can give to those in need. We can tell the truth in love, and we can believe that we already have enough. Friends, we can do all of this because we worship a God who makes the impossible possible. Our God raised Jesus from the dead. Just imagine what He can do with you and with me. We can put up the Ten Commandments on the wall. We can embroider it and frame it. We can get it back up in our front yards or the public courthouse. And I promise it will never bring us closer to God. But when we bind ourselves in a community to the rhythm of the drum that is the Ten Commandments, when we hear it and feel it deep in our souls, such that we can clap together and hear it and feel it and live according, I promise it changes everything. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.